1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Start reading at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5 at verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when we say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. God, bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, it is your gift to us, and might you open our ears and hearts by your Spirit to see and hear and receive your gift to us, your help to us, your strength to us. We ask in Christ's name, amen. On a typical day, one of my least favorite experiences is the alarm clock going off. (laughs) Okay, and I know some of you don't relate to that because you get to bed on time and you get enough sleep and so your body clock just goes off and you wake up and you're good to go. That's some of you. That's not everybody. Some of us need the assistance of of an alarm and and that is often me. And when, when my alarm goes off, my first instinct is to silence it because it is annoying Sometimes it's my wife's alarm that wakes me up. And that's doubly annoying because I lose out on that extra sleep. (laughs) This morning, as we come to the text, I think I want to be an alarm clock, which means it may annoy you because alarms can be like that. I think over the, 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 all of the din of the, of the conflict and the controversy and the, and the compromise in today's society, and even within the church, I believe that God's word rings like an alarm, calling the church to wake up. One thing I've noticed about being asleep, I'm not conscious of being asleep, because that's an that's a obvious statement, right? <laughs> I'm not conscious about being asleep. When I wake up, then I'm conscious that I was asleep. And, you know, and so like when you fall asleep in church, I understand you're not conscious of that. I mean, there's just, what are you going to do? 
okay? You don't know that you've fallen asleep in church until, you know, someone nudges you or, you know, the head snaps back or there's some startling noise and then, and then you become conscious of the fact that you were asleep. Now, my older sister is notorious for sitting in the chair and not thinking she's asleep until she wakes herself up with that little snort. You know how that goes, okay? So, so that, that we're, just, we're not conscious of it until we wake up. I believe that the church is asleep and, and isn't conscious of it. That's the, that's the risk of when we, if you will, as followers of Christ, or when the church in our own nation is asleep, we're not conscious of it. It seems like we have more Christian stuff going on than ever in our own land. More Christian opportunity than ever in our land. And yet with increasingly diminishing results of it all. It's not that it's not the churches aren't doing stuff. Perhaps it's just that the church is asleep. A. W. Tozer was a was a preacher and prolific author from the last century. He grew up in Akron, Ohio, by the way, and uh, published many many books. And in one of his books, uh, Tozer said, wrote that, that if the Holy Spirit was completely withdrawn from the church, and I quote, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would notice. He wrote that probably 50 years ago. And I don't think that the situation has improved in those 50 years. So where do we get this thought from, you know, this, this idea of, of, of waking up? Well, it's, it, it was here in the text that we read this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you were following along or, or as you heard, there's repeated references in here of, of, of night and darkness and sleeping and light and day and being awake. A theme for, for this church, for these believers, as we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, just simply been trying to answer the question, what kind of church has gospel impact in darkness? Whether in a dark place or in a dark time, what kind of church is it that can continue to, to have real impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ in that darkness? And the answer to that question is, well, a, a, a church like the Thessalonian church. Because they were that kind of a church. They were a church that, that existed in a dark place spiritually, in a dark time spiritually. They, they, they were, they were in, a, in, a, in a place that was hostile to Christianity. Uh, it was not a, there, there was nothing remotely Christian about the culture in which the Thessalonian church was birthed and, and, and existing. It was, it was a church... You know, that, that's still some of that pre-Christian kind of, of era paganism and, and, and worship of all kinds of gods and all kinds of superstitions and, and even worship of the, of the emperor of, of Rome, a, a time of, of, of rampant immorality and, 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 and ungodliness. 
uh, a time of, of, of oppression because the, 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 the Roman army, the Roman empire, while there was, you know, while there was a, a time of peace, they could be very fierce in their putting down of any resistance. And that's the, the, the culture in, in which this church was born. And, and as Paul was writing this letter to them, this was a very young church. This was a, this was a church that was, not, that was not yet a year old. So a church of, of, young, of young believers, but this was a good church. Um, I would submit to you probably one of the best churches that we, that we meet in the New Testament. They were a good church. It was, this was a church that was especially dear to Paul. He loved this church. He, he, he expresses it several times in this letter how much he desired to be with them to to enjoy their fellowship and their company and their companionship his heart ached to be with them he loved this church and and this was a church that that kind of an environment in that kind of a time with you know being that young it's a church that i would submit to you that seems to have been having an outsized impact in that place because it's less than a year old, and yet we see that the, that, the, that the impact and the influence and the testimony of this church has spread outside of the walls of their church into the city, and it's spread beyond the city into the region, and it's spread beyond the region into that whole country of Greece. In not very much time. This is a church that knew something about having impact in the darkness, and that's why we've been working our way through, through this book, because I think it's timely for us. Last uh, time we were in, in chapter 4 and verse 13, and when we came to that, that section, we, we really come to a portion that, that shows us that this church was, they were very conscious and mindful of the return of Jesus, that, that Jesus Christ was going to come back. That's a major theme in this book, which tells us that the return of Jesus Christ was very much in the consciousness of this church. Every chapter of this letter makes mention of it. And as we, as we arrived at chapter 4 and verse 13, continuing into chapter 5 and verse 11, we find like 17 verses really devoted to this whole subject and theme of the return of Jesus Christ. The last time we were in the first part of that, in chapter 4, uh, the, the question was raised, you know, so, so Christ is... What about, what about our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died? Are they going to participate in that? Are they going to be a part of that? And Paul assures them that they will be. And, and, so, and so we see in that, that, that if you will, belief in and, and our trust in and holding to the second coming of Christ yields comfort for the church. Well, the, the question flips maybe just a little bit in chapter 5, and it now turns to the living. So what about those who are living? What about Christians who are living at the return of Christ? And, and if you will, this, this whole day of the Lord, are they going to experience that? What's going to happen to them? And so Paul is going to reiterate some things here in these verses. But from, from what he says, I think we can derive the truth that, that, that if you will, belief in and our confidence in the second coming of Jesus Christ— will yield an awake church. An awake church. 
he, he brings up this matter of the, of the day of the Lord. He says, concerning times and seasons, verse 1, I don't need to write to you, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, it's a theme uh, throughout Scripture. It's, it's, a, it's a day that corresponds with what Paul was talking about back in chapter 4 and, and verse 15 when he talks about the coming of the Lord. The day of the Lord, uh, it goes side by side with the coming of the Lord. We know that the Lord is returning. These believers believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was, was returning. We believe that the scriptures teach that his return is going to happen in, in two phases. Uh, and, and just quickly, to, to not get into the whole timeline of, of future events, um, there you go. Uh, the, the return of Christ, we believe it's going to happen in, in two phases. One, one is called the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we believe refers to that. And then there's going to be the second phase, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will come to this earth. And he's going to come in power and great glory. He is going to come and, uh, and he's, going to, uh, he's going to establish his kingdom. Uh, and he is going to reign. But what we find, in, there's the return of Christ. And, and the rapture of the church really is going to, if I can put it this way, sort of kick off this, what's called the day of the Lord. It's not, it's not a 24-hour day. It's a period of time. We believe that, uh, that from the Old Testament... Uh, we, would, we would correlate it with Daniel's 70th week and the prophecy that he gave of what, what lies ahead. And he laid out a whole, a whole scenario of the, rise, of the rise of empires before the coming of Christ. Uh, we, we believe it's described the second coming of Christ in, in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We believe that much of what we read in, in the book of Revelation, the judgments that are going to fall, of God upon this earth are, are in that time known as the day of the Lord, culminating in that infamous battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. The scriptures make it clear that it's going to be a day of the Lord's judgment on this world. That's a theme that, uh, that many don't want to hear, and it's easy to push it to the side, but, but as we look ahead, just as Jesus Christ came, in history, he came in time and space into this world. He was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. That happened in history. So in history, he is going to come again. And it will be a time of judgment upon this world. Justice is going to come to this world. It's going to come. When Jesus Christ returns, he is going to bring justice to this world, and there will be judgment upon the world. Paul describes, describes the day uh, with the word sudden destruction in verse 3. And he warns that they, and, the, and the, the word they is referring to the unbeliever, they shall not escape. Escape what? They shall not escape judgment. There is coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, when perfect righteousness and perfect justice. There will be no loopholes. No one is going to get off. The, the, the unrighteous will not escape that day. There will be no place to hide. There will be, there will be no excuses. There will, be, there will no, be no free passes. He will come in judgment. Isaiah said this in chapter 13 and verse 9, see the day of the Lord is coming. And here's how he describes it. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate 
and destroy the sinners within it. The prophet Joel in chapter 1 and verse 15 says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. When the prophet Zephaniah was writing of that coming day, he described it with words like bitter and wrath and trouble and distress and devastation and desolation and darkness and gloominess. The prophet, Isaiah, the prophet Amos, he, he wrote this in, in Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. This is, listen to this description. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as, or, or, or he, or as he went through the house and he leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? This is how the word of God describes that day of the Lord, a day of darkness, a day of judgment, a day of God's wrath. God's wrath is real. It's real. And it's coming. And the reason we say that is because God has warned over and over and over and over again. But we also know from the scriptures that the day of the Lord is going to be a day of the Lord's salvation for his people. Paul, uh, if, even in, in chapter 5, he, he does contrast they and them with you and us. And, and in verse 9, he says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. For those who come to salvation during that time, during that day of the Lord, there will, be, there will be persecution, but they will be vindicated by the Lord. Again, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 31, says that the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass, he says, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The day of salvation. The day of the Lord you see, history is moving somewhere. History is moving in a direction. The, the, the history of mankind is not, is not just this repeated cycle of events over and over and over again to no end. The Word of God shows us and, and reveals to us that all of this, the, 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 the history of mankind, it is moving in a direction. It is moving toward an end. And that end will be as the Lord comes to judge the wicked and to vindicate the righteous. The big question on everyone's mind whenever you come to this is when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Uh, and, uh, and, and Paul, you know, as he starts off, he says, verse 1, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. I mean, there, there's a sense in which he's saying, we, you know, I've already, I've already shared this with you. We've already talked about this. But there really is nothing more along those lines to add. When it will happen is simply a question that God has not answered. God has not answered. If you want to put it on a chronological, if you want to put it on a chronological calendar and try to pinpoint the day, God has not given us an answer to that question. When Jesus' disciples asked him that question, and they asked it to him just before he left. You read about that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. Right before Jesus 
bodily ascended, left this earth, and returned to heaven. They asked him this similar question about these times and seasons. When's the kingdom going to come? You know, when's it going to be established? And Jesus' response is basically, men, the timing isn't your business. The timing isn't your concern, guys. Your business is to go be my witness. That's your business. That's your concern. When I'm coming back, all you need to know is that I am. That's all you need to know. You get down to business, I'll come when it's time. It's really how he's left it. We're not told the time. We're not told the time. I don't want to read another book by an author, not that I read them, that sets a date. Because they don't know. They don't know. And every time an author sets a date and publishes a book, it adds to the, the discrediting of the church, of the word of God. It does not help. We don't know. We don't know. So the when. But what he does tell us, what he does tell us about that coming is simply this. It's going to be sudden, and it's going to be unexpected. There's, there's not going to be any prior warning. Other than what God has told us in his word, there's not going to be, you know, we're not going to be given like a heads up the day before, a month before. It's going to be sudden and unexpected. Verse 2, it's going to be like a, a thief in the night. Many of you will remember the the, the movie from back in the 70s. Okay, the old people, young people, will remember the, 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 the thief in the nights and uh, the distant thunder. My, my son is, you know, of a generation that came after that. Uh, he's a works with youth down in Kent, and he, he had a movie marathon night of, uh, of, of, of the whole trilogy. <laughs> Thief in the Night and Distant Thunder, and, and, and he said, I don't think my teens got it. <laughs> but that's where it comes from, Thief in the Night. It, 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 it's, it, it's unexpected. I mean, you know, a thief comes at night because he comes undercover, and, and the success of a thief uh, is because no one was watching there to guard. Jesus used the analogy in, in, back in Matthew. Uh, a thief in the night, un- under cover of darkness, unexpected. If you know, a thief never like puts up on Facebook. Just wants you to know, going to be hitting your house tomorrow night. Okay, doesn't work that way. And that's the analogy. We're told he goes on. It's going to it's going to be like a military invasion from out of nowhere. Verse three. For when they say peace and safety, now that that was actually one of the slogans of the Roman Empire during their their great Roman peace. This was one of their slogans: peace and security. And, and the word of God says, you know, they, that's, that's the, the, the unbelievers, the ungodly, those who are not ready. They're going to be saying peace and safety and what happens? Sudden destruction. I, I read that again this week, and, and my mind just so clearly went to 9-11. I mean, it was a day like, you know, the days before. It was a beautiful day, at least here on the, you know, this half of the country and the sunshine and People, you know, we're sort of coming off the summer and, and through Labor Day and, and uh, everything, it's business as usual. Everyone goes about doing the things that, that, that they go about doing. And, and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, 
This jetliner slams into the World Trade Center. Out of nowhere comes another jet into the other one. Out of nowhere comes a, comes a jet slamming God. Surprise. Shock. That's just, a, just maybe a tiny little glimpse of what this day is going to be like. It'll be like from out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. This comes. He uses, he uses the analogy of, uh, of, a, of a woman in, the, in, the, in birth pangs, those, those, ver- those first birth pangs. And I realize in, in our scientific world, we can, we can predict everything right down and schedule all this stuff. But see, this is an ancient time, and they're not, they're not under like prenatal care and everything all measured out. It's like, it's like they're, okay, so I'm pregnant. Sometimes they might not even know that, but even if they knew they're pregnant, and then all of a sudden one day, one day the pangs start. And it's unexpected, it happens suddenly, happens suddenly. And those are the pictures that he uses. The world is going to be surprised. Uh, you want to talk about shock and awe. The world is going to be in shock and awe. But Paul reminds us, not, not believers. And it's still going to be sudden, but for the believer, it doesn't happen uh, with, with shock and awe. Why? Because Not, not because we've figured out the date. The reason, the reason the believer won't be surprised is because they believe what God's word has said, and in obedience to God's word, they live in a state of readiness. The word of God does call us to that kind of living, and, and, and see, when we, when we fall asleep, we can lose consciousness of that, but one of the things the scripture reminds us over and over again, calls us to over and over again, is to live in a state of of readiness, that today could be the day of the arrival. It could happen today. And, 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 so, and so while it's going to be sudden, it doesn't take the church rapture, and if you will, God's people during that tribulation period, it doesn't take them by surprise because they live in a constant state of readiness. That's what he's calling these believers to here in this text. Be ready. Be ready. Last weekend, we were up at the men's retreat, and many of you know that we, we sort of had to like rush things at the end, because uh, we were getting these, uh, these uh, uh, storm reports, and so Dave Sellers is coming over to us like Friday. We'd already, getting about ready to start our Friday chapel, and he is coming over and saying, hey, you know, we're getting reports that, uh, uh, that the, the ferry might shut down to, you know, tomorrow morning, uh, and so our retreat was scheduled to go through noon, so we're scrambling a bit and got with Bruce McDowell and said, hey, Bruce, we think we probably ought to do both chapels tonight. Let's do the Friday chapel. What you were going to do tomorrow morning, let's do it. We'll just take a little break. So we're just scrambling around a little bit. So we, we got everything adjusted, said to the men, you know, here's what we're going to do. And here's the word that we got. So we're going to, we're going to bump up breakfast a little earlier. We'll have breakfast and then, and then you guys, you know, get going so we can make sure we catch the ferry. So I had, my, my daughter had gone up to, to be a, to, to help out uh, working in the kitchen. So I, I pulled her aside. I said, now listen, I know, you know, she, she's the one that can be Hard to, okay, it's time to go. It's time to go. Yeah, no, we got we, we to go. So I gave her a heads up. Jenny, you need to get your stuff packed. You know, have it all ready to go in the morning because there's a good chance, like, as soon as breakfast is done, we're out of here. And so have everything ready. I want you to have all that, all that stuff ready. And when you come up to the dining room, just bring it with you. And then as soon as you're done, we're going to throw it in the car and we're on our way. So I gave her that heads up. Well, we get up the next morning and uh, so uh, wander our way to the dining hall and up there on the, on the porch, and this is still, you know, this is 7 o'clock, a little before 7 o'clock, 
Um, and uh, 7.15, Dave Sellers comes along, and, and, and Dave says, um, you know, by the way, men, we just, uh, we just got word that the 7, 7.30 may be the last ferry of the day. Um, and so we're, okay, 7.30, I mean, this is 7.15. So, so we, are, we are scrambling. And, 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 and my, my daughter, like, okay, so like she's on the back of the camp. Uh, she's not there yet. And this is, we have 15 minutes. And so, so I was riding with Rob. So we, we'd put our stuff in the car. So we go, we go whipping back. And Dave got, hopped on his scooter because Jenna was up there staying with their daughter. And so had him slip in the room. And to her credit, believe it or not, in five minutes, she was in the car with all her luggage. And we made the 730 ferry. <laughs> How in the world, you know, that, that, that included waking her up. <laughs> getting her in the car with all of her luggage. How in the world did that, we pull that off? Readiness. There was some readiness to that. So that when, when everything happened in a hurry, she was ready to go. We are called, we are called to live in readiness. Readiness. Every single day of our lives. Readiness. Readiness for his for his return. So how can we do that? And I, and I think that the rest of, the, of this passage we read helps us with that. How can we, how can we, how can we stay awake? What is it that will, that will keep us awake as the church of Jesus Christ in these days in which we live, looking forward to the coming of the, uh, the, the, the return of Christ? How can we keep awake? Well, let me say it again. Don't try to stay awake, uh, stay awake by calculating the date. Okay? And, and I don't think that giving donations to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem will help ready you either. Okay? There are other things that the, ta- that the text talks about. So how do we stay awake? Well, Paul continues on, and he writes this. I'm going to look down at verse 4. Uh, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So let me, let's, just, let's just boil that down to, to this challenge. I think here's one of the things that will help us stay awake. You need to remember who you are. Christian, you need to remember who you are. Church, we need to remember who we are. Have we forgotten that? Have we been so sucked into the world system? That, that we've forgotten who we are as, as followers of Christ. That, that even we've forgotten who we are as the church. Who are we as the church of Jesus Christ in this world? Who are we? Identity is a huge issue these days. It, identity seems to be driving so many things. And, and, and identity seems to be confusing so many issues. As a church, we can't, we can't be drawn into that and misled by that. Who are we? Well, here's what God says. He says, you are not in darkness. You are, you are all sons. You are all children of light. You are children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. It's a description of who we are. Remember who we are. We don't belong to the darkness. That's not what fuels us. That's not what drives us. The, the, the darkness of this world, this, the system of this world that, that, is, that is under that whole cover of darkness, that, that's, not, that's not what drives us, that's not what controls us, that's not what directs us. We are, we are of the light. And in this particular uh, text and the use of light, I think it is in keeping where so often in Scripture that, that light is a word speaking of salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation 
Psalm 27.1. Whereas the flip side of that in Scripture, darkness in Scripture is a word of lostness. A word of, of lostness. And, 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 and Paul goes on in, in, the, in these verses to darkness with sleeping. You know, we, we, we sleep as a general rule. We sleep at night. He goes on to connect it with, with, with drunkenness. So it's, it's almost like the picture is, you know, in, in that culture where you don't have, you don't have electricity, so you don't have the, the modernization of all the, all, of all the lights. So, so night, is, night is when you sleep and rest. Day is when you, is when you work and do what you need to do. And, and so, you know, there's the vulnerability of the sleeping. But, but sometimes even in our own, you know, so you, you go to work and you do all your responsible stuff during the day, but then the night is yours and you just live it up. How often is like the night's the party time. It's the party scene. He's using those those analogies, the the, the darkness of all that. The church doesn't belong to the darkness. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says, The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. We're here in the midst of of the darkness of this world trying to make a difference. But we don't belong to it. We don't belong to it. We're not driven by it. It's not what fuels us. It's not what energizes us. We belong to the light. We have to remember that our real battle is not with the world. Our battle is for the souls of people still trapped in the darkness of the world. And there's a difference. This darkness permeates the entire system of the world. It's a system of darkness that keeps people trapped. Jesus, who called his followers, is the one who called his followers to live as lights in this world. And if you remember Matthew chapter 5, he said, let your light talking to his followers, let your light so shine before people that they will see your good works and glorify God in heaven. We belong, we belong to the light. We belong to God. We belong to heaven. And our presence on this earth, in our individual places that we're going about, whether at work or at school or in our neighborhoods, or our collective presence as a church is to bring some light, to bring some light into the darkness. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Children of the light. Second encouragement I think he gives us is in verses six through eight, and that would be if we're going to stay awake, you need to replenish your spiritual defenses. Because I says, uh, verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Replenish replenish your spiritual defenses. He, he uses in here the, the, the armor metaphor. It's, uh, it, it, he uses that elsewhere. He said, how, how, are we going to, how are we going to resist the world? How, how are, what, what's going what's to keep our spiritual senses alert so that, so that we don't become intoxicated by the world? 
You see, living, living in this dark world can, can lull us to sleep. And the scriptures acknowledge that and warn us against it. It can lull us to sleep. We, we can end up letting our defenses down. The gods of this world, which are really idols of our own heart, can make us like, like drunken people, stumbling around, saying and doing stupid things. I mean, the spirit of our times, the darkness of our age, is intoxicating. So what is it that keeps us alert and, and sober? But we need to keep replenishing spiritually. Paul is really drawing uh, from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, where Isaiah describes in that passage, he describes the Lord as putting on a breastplate of righteousness and helmet of salvation as he goes forth as the warrior. Be like that. Be like the Lord as you go forth. Put those on. We have this, this trilogy of faith, hope, and love, which are favorites of Paul. Faith, hope, and love, which really are the essence of the Christian life. And they need to be replenished and renewed all the time. When, when Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, was giving thanks to the church, we realized that faith, hope, and love already, already marked out this church. He says of them, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this was already in that church, and here he reminds them again to put it on, keep it replenished, keep those spiritual defenses replenished. Put on, put on your trust in Christ daily. Replenishing that work of trusting in him and, and that which comes out of your trust in him. Put on the love of Christ by replenishing it constantly and then labor out of that. Put on the hope that you have in Christ by renewing it every day. If you will, as, as, you're, as you're confronted with, with the, the tough stuff of life, you know, the, the trials, the difficulties, the sickness, the heartache, filter it, take it through the hope of your salvation. Take it through that as you face those things that can beat you down and discourage you. You see, the hope of the gospel is what guards our innermost being, so keep replenishing yourself in it. The third thing that helps us to stay awake, verses 9 and 10, is to just rest in your assurance. It says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That's the gospel. Rest in that. Rest in that assurance. How, how do we know, if we have professed faith in Christ, how do we know that when he comes, you know, we're not going to be swept up in this judgment? Well, because of the assurance that we have of the work that Christ has done. Paul says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's electing grace. This is, this is why we believe, also why we believe the church will not be here in the tribulation. Who died for us? He's referring there to Christ's atonement. Christ came. He died in the place of sinners. He died in your place. He died in my place. That's what it means when it speaks there of atonement. He satisfied the righteous demands of God against your sin so that you don't have to pay the penalty. You don't have to suffer the consequence. Jesus Christ suffered the consequence for you, for your salvation. He says then that whether we wake or sleep, I think there he's referring to whether we're alive when he returns or whether we're dead at the return of Christ, we should live together with him. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. See, the day of the Lord, though coming suddenly, isn't going to take us by surprise. 
Because we'll be ready, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. We'll be watching and we'll be waiting because our redemption draws nigh. Rest in that assurance. Rest in that assurance. If, you're, if you've put your trust in Christ, if you have received him as your Savior, the promise of God is you'll be delivered. You'll be delivered. Finally, that little word he gives at the end, verse 11, if we're going to stay awake, we need to reassure one another. Reassure one another. He says, therefore, comfort each other with and edify one another, just as you also are already doing. We need to help each other stay awake. <laughs> I was, uh, I think it was last November, we'd gone down to, to, to DR, and we'd gotten in, and it was a long travel day, and, and uh, we got to the place, and we ended up having a, a lengthy, long conversation with Pastor Joel that night, and it was, it was it was late, and I knew I was just fighting and fighting. I was so tired. I did not want, I didn't want my eyes to close, I, because we're, we're, having, we're having a conversation we need to have, and every now and then I'd feel this little from Deb, <laughs> you, know, you know, just because she, she tuned in, and she saw, and, and she helped me through that. She helped, she helped keep me awake, so I didn't, you know, uh, accidentally just doze off. We need to do that for each other as followers of Christ. We just give each other that, that little nudge, that little tap. We help each other stay awake. We help each other stay alert. We remind each other of the promises of God's word. We, we reassure each other of the promise of salvation. We help each other replenish those, those spiritual defenses. We remind each other of who we are in Christ. So whenever we come together, that's part of why we come together. The writer of Hebrews says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another. Listen to this. And all the more all the more as you see the day approaching because we're going to need that. Comfort, encourage, build up, remind. That's how we stay awake. That's what Paul has given to us. In, in the month of October, uh, Dr. Eric Mason, he, he pastored a church that he founded in Philadelphia. Uh, Dr. Mason, is a, he's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. He's a member of the Gospel Coalition. He's going to re- release a book titled Woke Church, an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and injustice. My purpose isn't to get into that topic, except just to bring this one quote to you that comes from that book that I think applies to what we're saying. He writes this, we are called as the people of God to wake up, to see what others don't and call it out. The church in America is not awake to the reality of what is happening in communities across this nation. And we are missing out on our calling to shine the light into these places of darkness for God's glory. That's an awake church. It goes on with this challenge. No more waiting. No more sleeping. Christ our King is coming back and he'll be looking for a woke church. I think Jesus had... A similar thought in mind when he asked this question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, there's, there's times when I hate it when my alarm goes off, but there are times when my alarm goes off that I'm thrilled. Like, I can't remember if it did or not, but I'm, for the sake of analogy, like, like the morning that I got married. I was thrilled to be awakened that morning. 
Um, I remember having to set the alarm for the, the, the day Deb was, going, was scheduled to go in for a C-section when our daughter was born, and we had to be there early. So we set an alarm to make sure we wouldn't oversleep. I remember I didn't, I didn't resent that alarm going off. Didn't hit snooze. Um, there's been those times, and you've had that too, and I've had to get up early to be at the airport by 4 a.m. to catch a flight. Uh, I don't complain when the alarm goes off those mornings. Uh, I don't hit snooze. I get up because it's going to be a great day. The reminders of Christ's return are, are like that. It's going to be a great day. If you are in Christ, it's going to be a great day. But we need to heed, heed the warnings. You know, these reminders of Christ's return, sort of like having a, a police car come up behind you. You ever had that happen? I'm not saying they pulled you. I'm just saying, did you ever have a police car come up behind you? And like, did you ever have a police car sort of you could see him coming up along his lights are flashing? And so what do you do? So you begin to move over. Okay. What a relief when he goes on by. Because <laughs> he's after someone else. The scripture warnings of the second coming of Christ are like that. They're flashing a warning. If you're in Christ, it's going to go on by. Make sure you're ready. See, church, Jesus isn't coming to, he's not coming over to pull you over and give you a ticket. He's coming over to rescue you. History is going to end one day. And we're going to stand before God. We are. So are you ready for the return of Christ? In church, are we awake? Are we awake? Lord, you are coming. And even as the scriptures remind us to pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. But until then, Lord, there's, there's life and there's work and there's responsibilities and there's people we're burdened for. There's people who are not ready for the coming of the Lord. We know that. There are people, Lord, if, if, if something doesn't change, they're going to endure that, that terrible coming day. So awaken us, Lord. Awaken us to, <clears throat> to who we are in Christ. <clears throat> awaken us to the assignment you've given to us. Awaken us to the opportunities. Awaken us to the needs all around us in our community. Awaken us, Lord, to the things to which we need to speak in our own nation, to our own culture, as we wait the coming of the Lord. May we be people of the light, bringing your light to those in darkness. Help us, Lord. We can't do it without you. Help us, we pray. As we conclude, we're going to sing, heads bowed and eyes closed. And if there's any way we can be of any help to you, love to pray with you. Perhaps you're here and in, in, in all honesty, you would say, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that day. I, if the Lord was to come today, I'd be swept up in that judgment, telling you there's deliverance through Christ. Don't leave without knowing that. If we can, if we can help you, we'd count it a privilege. We'll have someone, they can, they can go aside with you and they'll open the word of God. They'll pray, answer questions you might have, but don't leave here without knowing for certain that you're ready. You're ready for the coming of the Lord and to stand before him. And Christian, I just ask you this. Are you awake? Are you awake? Let's respond to the Lord as we sing. Do that, Lord, in our lives, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.